Brenda McPartland, you're an Irish Jesuit and you're on ministry here up in the north and you're in Portadown in Churchill Park. The Jesuits have been here for quite some time. Tell me about your ministry here. I'll talk about the community ministry. I think that the community ministry is about reconciliation. It's kind of helping to build the peace that should be in Northern Ireland. And since the Belfast Agreement in 1997, the violence has stopped. But that's not the same as having the peace. I think the peace has to be built, and I think we're contributing to that. Generally, we came in 1981 when Paddy Doyle, as provincial, set up a number of social justice organisations, such as Facing Justice in Dublin, the Inserted Community in Summerhill, and he set this one up and found Portadown for it. And he himself then, when he was a provincial, was the one who began the community. And the aim then was simply to be with the people in this area who were beleaguered. Absolutely, because, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, a disadvantaged area. It's the Gavahi Road, essentially, isn't mm-hmm. it, where all the controversial orange marches were? Yeah, the people are poor and the people were oppressed and they were in an area where the housing was so tight that it was uncomfortable. So everything about it was poor. And the troubles had broken out and people had moved, uh, had been moved out of their own houses and ended up here. And any Protestants who were here ended up leaving. So it became a, a ghetto, a bad ghetto. And the Jesuit presence, I mean, it does mean something because I noticed even now coming in, I got lost through Google Maps, took the wrong turn. Two separate people, I said the number of the house and they just looked at me. And then I said the Jesuits, oh, down there. So they, they know you're here and they know you're a presence with them. Yes, we're known. And people like Petty Doyle and Brian Lennon and others are very well remembered by the people for those hard years in the 80s and the 90s when they had all the troubles on the road. And just for, oh, they had a whole new experience of church uh, through this. So they actually do speak positively about the effects of the Jesuits in the area. The area now actually is good. I wouldn't see it as a ghetto. Well, it's a good ghetto. It is actually isolated from the rest of the town, but it's good and big enough that we can enjoy our isolation. And that's a weakness as well as a strength, that we don't need to interact very much with the rest of town. So the place has improved. It improved in other ways too, that they did sort out the housing they even knock down houses to make it a more amenable place. And the place is actually quite pleasant. Now. Yeah, it looks nice and, and doesn't look like I remember it when I did visit here many years ago. During the height of the Troubles, I think I remember one time Eamon Stack and others, Jesuits, and they, they, they were hemmed in on the Givahi Road because of the standoff over the Orange Marches. And they said mass on the street, surrounded by British Army and Saracens. Are the marches in contention or is that over? No, the marches are still in contention. Every Sunday, a quarter of a mile up the road at the Drumcree Church of Ireland, they march, small number, from the church down to the bridge. And they're not allowed to go beyond the bridge and the police are there to stop them. And every Sunday they go down there for the police to stop them. The whole year through? The whole year through. It said that one day they arrived at the bridge and there were no police and they got on their mobile phone to the, to the police to come out and collect, their, to stop them and collect their, their protests. <laughs> and then once a year at the marching season, which is coming up now, uh, there is a, a, a request to be able to march down and they want, they're very keen to march down that road at least one last time 
and when it's refused, you get vitriolic letters to the paper for one day, and that's it for another year. It's dying out, but uh, it's still there. Losing its sting a bit. What are community relations like, and are the Jesuits involved in community relations here? Across community, the one thing that we clearly do would be, um, for instance, I chair a committee of church fellowship, where the ministers of the various churches meet once a month. And uh, at least we do that that level. We try to do actions together, such as running services at Easter and Christmas and so on. And uh, we would get a good mix of people along to those. And we do some services in their churches and swapping around that way. So that, uh, that particular action, we have a certain cross-community stuff. Other cross-community things, well, I would have a, a study group here once a week, and which is majority are Protestants, and we'd discuss theology. That's amazing because I know I served as a journalist in the BBC mm. for many years. Portertown was probably one of the most bitterly divided places in the north of Ireland. It has that reputation and it would be true enough. It is a, a black town, as they say, with say two-thirds of Protestant, one-third Catholic. Nevertheless, there is a softening. Yeah, and, and amazing that you have, I mean, because a Catholic housing estate and the Protestants feel safe to come here and study with the Jesuit theology. I mean, that is amazing. It should be at this stage. <laughs> it should be happening to some extent. We have that level of contact. Then you might have other situations where you'd have cross-community. I have English classes for the migrants. Migrant, of course, is cross-community in a certain sense. Yeah, talk to me about the, your work, the work with the community and the migrants here. The migrants is a phenomenon that has grown since, say, 2003, 2004, that period, and it's now it's almost 10% of the population, so it's quite big. And in this town, they tend to be the poorer section and living in the poorer areas, which now have been abandoned by the landlords who are former family of people there. What nationalities and religion? Extraordinarily, the majority would come from a Catholic, uh, so say, imagination, a background uh, or the practice might be a little bit weaker. And yes, a lot of them would have the faith. So people like the ones from Africa, Portuguese-speaking Africa, no question about faith in God. Practice is a whole other uh, phenomenon. People from East Timor, uh, again, Asians, ex-Portuguese colony, suffered a huge amount. Very Catholic, hugely Catholic. And I would say poly people among them, quite a big number. And then the rest would of migrants from, say, non-Portuguese backgrounds would, funny enough, largely Catholic because they're, they're Lithuanian and Polish. And there would be a certain amount of Protestantism among, say, the, the Latvians so on. And how are they settling in here? Are they well accepted? There isn't any overt problem. I think they're reasonably accepted. You never quite know what's behind the, the surface, but I think my feeling is that they're accepted. They have improved the economy here. And even in my time, I can see a difference. Now, they're, they're hardworking. They're working in jobs with very low pay. And they're working in jobs that the Irish wouldn't do, much less the British. And they're being paid low, but it's, they're being paid well enough to live a poor life with a little bit of margin. And of course, the attraction is there's good education for children around here. Schools are good. So they actually can live a good enough family life. You'd like to see the payment situation being better and the conditions being better, but that's another uh, level of achievement. Overall, they are settling here and they are forming a certain level of community. They themselves are cagey about churches. 
they don't really know. What, certainly the Mediterranean people don't know what Protestantism is about mm-hmm. or what the whole thing is about. And I suspect they hardly know the difference from the outside between the Catholic and the Protestant church as they present themselves. They're all kind of very Northern European in some way. Nevertheless, a lot of them feel as they kind of have, have the, the confidence to come to the Catholic church and pass the barriers that are there. The Catholic church doesn't seem to make, soften the, uh, their welcome for people. They just kind of let them take it or leave it. But increasingly they're coming to the church so they're actually, I would say, going to be an important part of the community in the longer term. And they're interesting at church, except we, we have them confined to our way of doing things. But if you give them a little head for their way, the Africans will sing wonderfully. Uh, the East Timorese will do wonderful things. The Polish do their things. And uh, the Indians, the Malabar Syriac, right, is just very beautiful, if long. So there's a lot that you could allow for them. They have a lot to contribute, I think, if we were open to it. We're not that open, I don't think. And when you say we, do you mean the institutional church as opposed to, say, the Jesuits and their ministry here? Yeah, I mean the parish. Mm. And even the people of the parish who are kind and good people, but they don't have a, a way of opening to migrants. The Jesuits, well, what we did was we were, we were seeing all these people living around us and in the area, that, uh, especially in this area, and uh, we had no contact with them. So my brief was when I started was to try and make that contact. So I've opened up a migrant centre and we do a lot of servicing in terms of what migrant needs, teaching and so on. I think we've built a little bit of community. They get to know each other and there's a kind of a little bit of life around it. Um, I can see ways in which that could be improved, but as it stands, we're kind of confined to what we can do. I remember speaking to you a number of years ago and you were doing some advocacy work as well as regarding was it passports and um, citizenship. Oh, yeah, citizenship and passports certainly we would do. We have a good immigration lawyer and we ourselves, two or three of us on the staff, have become qualified to give basic advice in immigration, which is a tricky thing here because you get, you get, it's, a, it's, a criminal, it's criminal activity to give advice when you have no qualification. Really? So we, yeah. So even to give them uh, a form to fill in is could be regarded as a criminal act. But we've actually qualified ourselves so that we could do that. Because there's a very new thing, even the European Union migrants have now to register for resettlement status. EU migrants? Yes, which is actually the right of a EU citizen to be yeah, here yeah. without that. But now the uh, Home Office has set up this uh, resettlement requirement. Is this a pre-Brexit sort of strategy and and their turn against the migrants, which of course is what Brexit is all about actually? It's about controlling the migrants, yeah. This is a pre-Brexit thing. Well, it comes from Theresa May's time in the the Home Office and she's instituted that. So it's now in, in operation even though there's no Brexit as yet. And it's okay if you have everything in order, if you can show that you have pay slips for the last five years you'll get through the, the form. But if you can't, you'll have more difficulties. And many of them might be economic migrants who haven't pay slips. Oh, a lot, yeah, a lot. And there's going to be all sorts of difficulties that haven't quite hit yet, I think. What what's numbers are we talking about, Brendan? Uh, numbers, just on that issue, for the whole of the UK, is three and a half million EU migrants. For here, we're talking about... Maybe in the Craigavon, I regard here as Craigavon area generally, up to 10,000 people. 
Well, that's significant, isn't it's it? It's significant, yeah. It is the highest density of migrants in Northern Ireland. Uh, it hasn't the highest number, which is Belfast, of course, but it's the highest density, almost 9, 9 to 10% of the population. Uh, so you have your work cut out for you then, really? Are you a lot of work, in, in yeah. the centre? Are you the only Jesuit working in the centre? Because there are other Jesuits here in this community. No, I'm the only one who works with the migrants. The other two Jesuits work mainly with prisons and ex-offenders. That's Michael, Michael Bingham and Frank Francis O'Brothy. So, Brendan, your day then, you go off, you know, do you work in the migrant centre and that's busy. What about here in the community? How, how does it work being inserted here in this community? Would people come to, I know you have the study groups, do the local people come to the door? Do they come for confession, for chat, for spiritual direction? They do for all of those things. Our biggest um, point of contact is they come looking for passports to be signed. <laughs> <laughs> and great to have that on tap. Everybody, even the uh, loyalists who voted for Brexit, are now looking for Irish passports. Really? Yeah. <clears throat> and would they come to you to get them signed? They don't come to, to us. But, um, but they are looking for Irish passports. Irish passports, yeah. I haven't yet had a loyalist come to me for a signature, but we do get a huge amount of people looking for a passport signature. So the Lord works in mysterious ways. Yeah, I'm not sure it's part of the Lord's work or it makes any impact <laughs> on it. It's just as one of those, at least it gives you a bit of contact with people and some of those things you do quickly. It would be an occasion to talk more with people, but in fact I find I'm... I've reached a stage of business where I just do it really effectively, efficiently. Um, it happens for me here because mostly I work from the house, given that the premises that we rent is just overcrowded and the sort of work I'm doing for it, it's hard to do and there's lots of distraction. So there's less distraction here. And in fact, I have nowhere to put my stuff except in that. So I spend a good bit of time at the house, which I'd prefer to be over at the centre, but uh, that's how it's working out for me. And are you happy here? I mean, it is a very different ministry in ways. I know from all the other Jesuit work you've done, how would you situate it? I'm happy with it. And one great thing I've discovered about it is you have a people that you're kind of relating to, like what the Pope Francis calls a Puebla. He's put a lot of stress on that on the people. And you have here a people. I would regard Craig Adam, which is a congregation of 100,000 people, as our people, and then more especially Porta Down, but more especially then Churchill Park. And you have that sense that you're working in building that community and trying to resolve the sort of the reconciliations that are needed there in that community. Whereas I kind of felt in other Jesuit works, they were a little bit too abstracted from the people. So you were doing a slightly more professional job, you were kind of a, speaking to a kind of maybe a wider audience, but you didn't have a certain people you were ministering to. Not altogether true when I think about what I did with the Workers' College. You did have the workers, yeah. but they were all Dublin. Hard to find them, but now if I went to the Congress of Trade Unions, you'd find half them there. Absolutely, all trained, and <laughs> many women as well, know, and very importantly. So it's, it's that sense of a people and a community a lot to be said for that and I think it might be a key to to working locally even though you're trying to kind of also be part of a wider global kind of a set of relationships. Yeah and that's dear to Pope Francis' heart I think as well because he, that's what the way he lived even in Argentina. Yeah I suppose in a sense he, he made the people of Buenos Aires his people. They had the advantage in Buenos Aires of having a, a good underground mm -hmm. that you could use. Yeah but he has the idea he has there is that connection between local and the people there. 
and indeed the the local people's culture and their devotions and so on as part of the basis. You have that sort of thing here. Do you have in here in terms of the Catholic population the same thing that you might see down south, which is a serious alienation among a lot of people because of the sexual abuse crisis and various things and the rising secularisation of, of modern Ireland. Has that hit here as well, do you think? And what are the issues here? It certainly hasn't hit as strongly as it has in the South. And I think particularly of the secularisation process. I thought that had settled, uh, hit very strongly in the South. And I was surprised here how little impact it had made, although it was making some impact. The abuse scandals, I think, has uh, affected people. In underclass communities like here, I think already there is an alienation with the church and there already had been abuse scandals here in, in relation to the teachers. But I think that has... In relation to sorry, uh, the teachers in the schools? Teachers, abuse a, a teacher or two teachers in school in the past, and that had affected them. So that their attendance at church is, uh, is very low. And it may have come from that. So to some extent, yes, scandals are hitting secularisation a little bit with the younger people, but not necessarily. I'm surprised at the level of commitment and practice that you have here. Uh, That, of course, may be a little bit tribal. Uh, It's a kind of an assertion of one's identity. There is a certain sense of that, yeah, the the religion that they have here is a little bit uh, traditional. And that traditional church in Ireland has more or less moved on. And my fear is that they mightn't move on. Or, as in Dublin, when people try to move on, they just simply left. Mm. The communication of a kind of a newer paradigm, it really is the only Jesuits are the only one coming up with that here. And uh, even we at this stage are kind of getting aged in the process. Mm. I think we have, as the Jesuit community in Churchill Park. We're very, very much with the people there. I think we're, we've lost a certain amount of that and I often think of how we could kind of renew it although we just haven't got the time. Part of the losing of it was that we did develop a community centre and community activities with a view to the people taking control and the people have taken control of it. So, so we're a little bit That's a success, yeah. But on the other hand, we've lost a certain amount of contact and I think we should have contacted some other sort of level with them. So would you see that as a challenge or is that something that maybe given the ageing profile of the Jesuits is something that maybe isn't a possibility any longer? Given our particular ageing profile, yeah, the three of us here and then Brian and Armagh, it's not really possible. I mean, our lifespans are kind of moving up beyond their their three score and ten. If there were the possibility of for the Jesuits, there isn't really. I think it, it was something, in fact, now from this vantage point, I would direct somebody on how to tackle it. I wouldn't do it myself now because I'm kind of overwhelmed with the amount of stuff yeah. I have in hand and have responsibility for. And what about lay collaboration? I mean, it seems to be working well in the migrant centre. Do you see any possibilities of that within the context you're talking about? Yes, not an immediate one, but uh, yes, if, if we worked on that, there is that possibility. Faith formation is an issue, isn't it? It is. That has to be really in some way done first, doesn't it? Yes. Our reading of theology here has gone on for a good long time and I do feel like moving on, but I'm not sure the people are ready to move on to a level of service. On the other hand, I just have started another group on climate change and it's taken off with great enthusiasm and it looks to me like people are ready to go into action on that. 
So there's hope for something further developing. And that is interesting because that's the same with young people down south. You see them getting really mobilised. And even in the election results, that sense of a concern for the climate has seemed to galvanise people and united a lot of people who are in very disparate positions. Yeah, I think the the wave has hit at this stage. That it's really everybody's enthusiastic now. Maybe it's 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we should have been working on it. Although, mind you, it was a thing I had as a priority even 10 years ago when I came here. It's just I couldn't quite see the way towards working on it. And I opted for the migrants and then I, yeah. that certainly took up my, my time. And, and quite necessarily too, obviously. I think, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a useful thing to do. It has potential for the future because I think if, if our migrants settle in properly, they'll be a good resource in the future. And I think they are settling in. Happy here, Brendan? Yeah, I'm happy here, yeah. Mm, I find it good. And I find uh, recently that the publication with the General of the Universal Apostolic Preferences really galvanise and give a confirmation of what we're doing and how we're going. So I find that very, very encouraging. <laughs>